G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today I've got Nick Aves from Purely Finance back on the show to answer all of my crucial financing questions. And these are not just getting asked by me, but I've seen many of our clients and people on the Perth Property Investment Facebook group asking similar questions. So really important time in the market with so much going on on the finance space. I wanted to deep dive with Nick and I'm sure this episode's really going to help. Let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. G'day, Nick. Thanks for joining us on the podcast again. Exciting times or challenging times in finance, depending on your viewpoint at the moment. So, got a lot to talk about today. Yeah. How are you, Jared? Yes, uh, certainly. We we are extremely busy and challenging with these rotten interest rates that the Reserve Bank Governor seems to quite uh, like putting up on a regular basis at the moment. So, making it challenging certainly for everybody. Hmm. And do you think we're going to get another one next month, or are they and what do you reckon they're going to do? What's your money on at the moment? Oh, look, I've, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to guess these things. I think if, if we look at the, the notes that the Reserve Bank Governor said last time, and, and when I say last time, I'm talking about the rate rise at the beginning of September, they said they were looking to continue to raise rates. So I think he will go again. I think the danger is, is that when rates go up, there's a long lag time before the cost of those rates flow out to the economy. And I suppose that's my biggest fear, is that we just keep pushing these rates up, waiting for something to change in relation to inflation, but the damage could be done. And rates can play out over one or two years after they come up. So I just hope yeah. that we haven't gone too hard and we don't push the economy into recession. So, but I think, yeah. Hopefully yes, they'll um, start tapering that to 025 increases instead of 0.5 but yeah i think most of the economists predicting as as we speak which is at the end of september that that it's likely to be another 0.5 which just seems really harsh but anyway that's what they're saying i guess the listeners will know when they're hearing this (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) who was (laughs) hindsight's a wonderful thing (laughs) so what types of borrowers are most active at the moment for you because obviously you're based in perth and You'd deal with people that are interstate and locals and you'd deal with investors and home buyers. And I know you've specialized a bit with investors as well, but you cater to someone's whole situation. So what type of finance are you tending to be most focused on? Yeah, well, I think the Perth market, I'm I'm still a big believer in the Perth market. And I think I think, you know, properties are turning over really quickly. So we are still seeing a lot of purchase transactions. And most of those are owner occupied. So we are still seeing people buying established properties. Obviously, the building market is in, in in a real strife at the moment with the build times and stuff like that. So we're not seeing much new stuff, but we are seeing existing homes changing hands very quickly. So people are out there looking to upgrade, people are looking to get into the market still for their first home. And we are seeing a little bit of investor stuff as well. We're also very busy with our existing book and, and other clients coming to us looking for a better deal. So mm. I've been saying this for a long time, but I've never seen a time in, in my history, and we've been operating our business for 20 years, where there's been such a disparity between what banks are offering new clients and what existing clients are being charged. And 
banks are just extremely, or when I say banks, I mean lenders are extremely competitive with pricing for new clients and they are quite strong on retention pricing as well. So it's just a real market that is not stable. It's in, it's in flux. Yeah. Mm. And what sort of interest rates are typical for home buyers, investors at the moment? Uh, yeah, well, look, they, they vary. An interesting thing that's come out, and it seems to be a fairly new phenomenon, is uh, this loan-to-value ratio tiered pricing. Oh, yes. So years ago, it used to be one interest rate, and then there was a bit of a change, and if you're borrowing more than 80%, the interest rate might be a little bit higher. And now they're bringing in other tiers. So there's quite a few lenders now that have a sub-70% tier and a sub-60% tier. Mm. And there is rewards there for people that have a low loan-to-value ratio. So for people who have been in the market for a long time, build up significant equity, and they're not looking to gear up more, there can be some rewards for having that low equity. But well, that's energy- good, especially with um, some of the recent price increases. And if people yeah. have experienced that already yeah. in Perth, they can go back and maybe offset some of the rising interest rates with a saving. Oh, Absolutely. But to answer your question, I mean, there was one lender, and I I don't know how sustainable this is, so you always wonder when things sound too good to be true, but on the last rate increase, they didn't increase their rates for the new-to-bank clients. So you can still get an owner-occupied home loan sub-80% at 3.45%, which seems really, really cheap. Um, Mm. Most of them now are in the low fours for owner-occupied, and then investment is a bit higher than that. So depending on, you know, again, Loan to value ratios and the deal and all the rest of it, but low 4.4, 4.3, somewhere around there is probably your best rate for an investor principal interest and maybe 0.1 or 0.2% above that for interest only. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. Gives us a feel for the landscape, but obviously case by case for every person and, and yeah. deal set up. So, yeah. And certainly, look, if anybody's listening to this, got an old key start loan in Western Australia, their yes. rates are sort of right up in the high sixes. And oh, wow. we haven't been able to refinance key start until now where the market has come up. So we've been refinancing a lot of old key start loans, getting them into a, a mainstream lender and saving them an absolute monza on, on yeah. repayments and interest. Yeah, so, huge. Yeah. so if anybody has an old key start loan, um, talk to somebody about seeing if you've got the equity to be able to refinance. Hmm. And when we look at how much interest rates have increased, what has that done to the average buyer's borrowing capacity? Because every time, uh, this is what I'm seeing on the cold face of it is, you know, I'm chatting to buyers, they're looking at my a property that I'm selling to buy. And then I chat to them next week after the uh, rate increase. And all of a sudden, oh no, we're having to reassess our, what we can look at. So I'd love to know what each one's doing. Yeah. Yeah. So look, I mean, Again, this has to be very generic because everybody's mm, circumstances yep. are different. It depends on income and, and it can affect some people significantly more than other people. I've done a few little calculations to, to have a look at it. And I did one just recently where if you look at, say, a $500,000 home loan and we go back before the interest rate rises, the repayments on that per month over a 30-year loan would have been under $2,000 a month. Mm. And now if you look at it where interest rates with the assumption of another 0.5% of an interest rate rise, they're up at 2760 a month. So that represents a 40% increase in that loan repayment for somebody on a half million dollar loan. And that works out to be about $9,500 a year out of their disposable income that, that has gone. When you see that back to a serviceability 
calculation, it sort of works out that they probably can borrow about $30,000 less. Again, this is very rough. Everybody's circumstances are different for every 0.5% interest rate rise. Mm-hmm. So if we look at the rises we've had, people's borrowing capacity has probably reduced by about $150,000. Yeah, okay. And some is significantly more than that. So if the loans are bigger, and you know this is obviously going out to a lot of investors, the more loans you have, the worse it gets because all those loans are, again, being serviced on the serviceability rate, which is 3% above the actual rate. So, you know, you're sort of getting that interest component of the loan becomes more and more as the higher the rates go. And do they look at the actual rate that you're paying or do they look at a notional rate when when they're running their calculators? Yeah, for, for home loans and investment loans, normally they are the actual rate. So they look at the actual rate and the term remaining on the facility under a principal and interest repayment. Okay. Well, that's, a, again, a, another incentive to be getting the best rate that you can to help you yeah. further borrowing. Yeah, absolutely. And, it's and you know, some of the deals we've done, well, you know, to be able to, particularly for investors, what we've had to do is refinance the whole portfolio because we need to get it back over a 30-year loan term, which is a maximum mm-hmm. loan term. We've had to negotiate or manipulate that interest-only period on some of those investment loans to be able to maximise the borrowing and really negotiate hard on the interest rate. So we're trying to get down the, the the cost of the loans, which, of course, then means that increases a client's borrowing capacity if they're looking to try and achieve something. Mm. Well, you just mentioned a few things that someone can do to improve their borrowing capacity. If an investor is wanting to build a large portfolio, what are some of the the things that they can consider because it's yeah. finance seems to be the main game at the moment to go from one or two properties potentially it's becoming harder to build that portfolio isn't it it is and i think we should get a, a sense of realization about all of this and that is that interest rates you know for in the four percent for investor and low falls for owner occupier and even some deals that are slightly under that really achieve interest rates mm. you know we've all a lot of people have been around for a long time, have seen rates a lot higher. And I know when interest rates were on their way down, we certainly got really excited when interest rates were coming down sort of from eight got to seven to sixes, you know. And, and <laughs> yeah, and, if, and when it got to four, we couldn't believe it. You know, people were locking in on four, thinking, well, never seen four before. This is unbelievable. So we did get it, you know, we did get spoiled mm. for a while and we knew rates would come back. We're actually back now to about where we were. I think in about 2014 or something like that, similar sort of interest rates to then. So, so having said all that, to build a big investment portfolio, it's really about income. You've got to work on yourself and how you can maximize your income. It's, Mm. it really is unrealistic to think you can build a big investment portfolio unless you've got income and cash flow behind you to support that. So that's, that's the number one thing. So investment properties, can be a strategy to to create wealth, but you need to also have the golden egg layer, whatever that is. So you need to do really well in your job, you need to get into good paying jobs, or you need to build a business and create that cash flow to be able to fund that investment into property. And I think sometimes people sort of forget about that. They think they're just going to do the investment property, but it's really it's really hard to achieve that. But the things you can do in your initial situation is really look at 
all your borrowings, right? So things that will trip you up are things like afterpay. So buying those things from a store, putting it on credit and then paying it back, you will still have a credit limit there. And that will show up on your credit file. So it may be $2,000, but that will be a commitment we need to include. So making sure you close those things off if you don't need. Credit cards going, if you have a credit card, a small limit. Even if you pay it off every month, you've never incurred any interest. The banks always look at the limits. Obviously, loans that are over a shorter period can have a massive impact on your capacity to borrow. So things like car loans over five years or four years. Sometimes people think, oh, well, I'll get a car loan over four years because I want to smash it out and then I'm going to go buy an investment property. That may stop us. But if it was over seven years, that car loan, it may not stop us. So it's just being careful with stuff like that, I suppose, trying to have a plan. So so that's one thing. The other thing is we've talked about a little bit before is really trying to make sure you're getting the best possible deal on your existing loans. So when we're looking at serviceability, we're looking at the actual interest rate you are paying. The other thing is the term of your loans remaining. So again, if you've been around for a while and had properties for a while and you're trying to get another one and and not and your bank saying, oh, you don't service, potentially if you were to refinance the existing portfolio again over a new 30-year loan term, that will make an impact. Interest-only periods also have an impact. So we've spoken about this before, but if you have a 30-year loan term and you have five years interest-only, the bank is looking at what the P&I repayments will be over the remaining principal and interest term, which in that case would be 25 years. So if you only had a two-year interest-only period, they'd be looking at it over a 27-year period, which could make a difference. So, And the third thing is every lender, every lender is different. Because one lender says no doesn't mean there's not another lender out there that will say yes. And I suppose that's where it gets a bit complex and you need to get somebody to help you do that because it's a complex process going through different lenders and looking at what they'll do and different policies. What else can I say? Some of them, if you're self-employed, some of the banks now are starting to look at different forms of self-employed way they, they assess your income. So you can these days, Rather than handing over all your financial statements and taking into account all your, if you've got business loans and you might be in a business that has a lot of leasing, you know, so you might own a, what would be a good example? You might own a trucking company. So you've got a lot of trucks under finance. If you look at all that truck finance in your company, it may blow out your personal borrowing, but some banks don't look at that. Some banks won't look at what you've got in, in borrowings for the company. So you need to go to one of those lenders in that circumstance. So, you know, it's, it's about. I suppose, going to the lenders, you have the best chance because of their specific policies. And as we've found with um, my finances and things, the more complex you are, the harder it is and you've got to find the policies that work. And there is huge variety in what the lenders will assess and how they determine borrowing capacity. So I know, yeah, absolutely. I know with um, my situation, we often use one lender because they just take the last one year of financials and instead of averaging them over previous years and if you've had a good year, that can really help. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So banks obviously assess borrowing capacity differently. Is that really the key to, to uh, I guess, why I don't know why anyone would go and deal with banks directly and try to suss all these policies out and it, it seems to me that there's even more of a case for a finance broker these days to do that hard work. Speaking to the wrong person and get an argument from me on that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're yeah, a little biased. Yeah. <laughs> I am you're biased. just telling me how how harder it's all become as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. So. 
Yeah, look, I think maybe years ago there was people had a relationship with a bank. Well, those days have well and truly gone. All the banks go through the same assessment process that a broker would go through. The loans all go into the same centralised uh, credit and, and the bank managers really don't exist anymore. So I can't see why, you know, and I, and I think you build a relationship with people, you get to understand their position, you get to understand where they're going, and then you, you're using their expertise and, and their systems to be able to to look at multiple different lenders to get the best deal. And I think with a broker, of course, you're negotiating hard and saying to the bank, look, you know, I've got another 30 lenders we can go to. You know, what is your very best deal if you want this client? So, yeah, I think if you're serious about building a portfolio, you need to get a good broker on your team for sure. And the other sort of elephant in the room that people are dealing with, it's not, of course, just interest rates increasing our overall household costs. It's everything at the moment. And, you know, I saw today that the fuel excise discount has come back off. So the petrol pump's going to be hurting us more. And, you know, the cost of food is and inflation's attacking us every which way. So is that increasing household expenditure? Is that having an effect on people's borrowing capacity? Or how do the banks actually factor this in? And how does that affect what we can borrow? Yeah, really good. Really good question, Jared. So I think Yes, it does affect it. The, the, the banks all have an index that they, that, that they subscribe to. They, they are a little bit different and, and banks can vary quite a bit in this area as well. And that's, that's something we haven't spoken about, but that, that can change your borrowing capacity as well. So as living expenses go up, these, these indexes go up. The other interesting thing is that what changed after the Royal Commission actually was that these indexes used to have a basic index. And now what happens with them is most of them are linked to income. So the more income you earn, there's assumption the more you spend, and that and that tends to be a reflection on people's position as well. And I think that's a that's a realistic thing. It's a fact of life that as you tend to earn more, it just seems to continue to disappear to some degree. So yes, to answer your question, shortfall, we're getting hit by that as well. So interest rates are increasing serviceability costs, and therefore reducing how much you can borrow. And the rising cost of living is also having the same effect. Mm. Thankfully, uh, rents are continuing to increase. Like, how much bearing does that rental price have on someone's overall ability to borrow, too? Because I'm noticing a lot of investors, especially from the East Coast, are being drawn here for our stronger rental yields. And when you might be able to get a 5% rental yield on a 500K purchase here versus a Two and a half to three percent on a property in Sydney and Melbourne. That's certainly attractive to the hip pocket. But how does that tend to translate through? Does it make much difference to the borrowing capacity of someone? Yeah, look, it does. I mean, the interesting thing with borrowing capacity is that you basically have your your basic living costs. So you have you have your family unit, yeah, um, whatever that may be. And there's an assumption to how much that will cost. And then there's also an obligation to have a look to see what it is. So if you're spending large and you're sending, you're choosing to do things like maybe sending kids to private schools, you, mm. you, you've got memberships for different sorts of things. You, daycare you know, you're putting, and all the rest. I can't wait for yeah. that one to stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Daycare, exactly right. Um, but it could be anything. It could be, you know, you could be a, a Geelong member and go to every game and have premium tickets. And that's a big expense every, every year. So any of those sort of discretionary things will affect your borrowing capacity. So if you are bumping up, but, but but once you've covered your basic living expenses and your existing loans, the bank assumes everything else is available to service the debt. So 
a chunk of your income is gone, then everything else is available. So any additional income really jumps straight into being able to serve that debt. Mm. So to answer your question, yes, it has an impact. The banks will discount the rental, and different banks discount it by different amounts. They also want you to make allowances for expenses of rental properties. So so if you've got a rental property that maybe is part of an expensive strata, a fairly big strata fee, that could have a detrimental effect. But if you're bumping up against your borrowing limit and you're looking at a property with a low yield and a high yield, it could mean the difference between deal, no deal. So Mm. to answer your question, it does make a difference. I think the other thing to to just quickly touch on all of this is that, you know, you've also got to be comfortable within yourself that you can that you can live and pay your bills and you can cop increasing living costs and cop interest increasing interest rates. Yeah. And often save and go on the family holiday and not just, you know. Yeah. And I think, you know, banks and lenders are in the position of lending money. They want to lend money. That's how they make profit. They don't make any profit by not lending money. And if you've been around the, the traps and every lender is saying no, that you can't do it, I would, I would perhaps question that should you be doing it if you, if you're sort of still trying to push the envelope and go above that? Because mm. the flip side of all this is you do bite off more than you can chew. Interest rates go up. You get yourself into trouble. You have a cash flow perspective. And then you have to dump a property in a fire sale, which is not an outcome, good outcome anyway. So, you know, everybody's got a plan. Everybody's got um, goals they want to achieve, but. You got to respect the debt because the debt is the one thing that will help you grow your portfolio and help you get to where you want to get to by leveraging. Or if you disrespect it, it will bite you. You know. Mm. So yeah, yeah, good one to add in there. So um, any idea to finish things up as to when interest rates might stop increasing and how high they could go? I mean, I'm I'm a mortgage broker, and there's the economists out there that study all these things, and they get it wrong all the time. Yeah, um, obviously, do. obviously, I read and look at all this sort of stuff, and there's been some economists sort of saying, "Look, we think the rate could get to three point three five to three point six, so we're at, that's the official cash rate. So we're at two point two five. Sorry, we're at two point three five at the moment. So, uh, but others are sort of saying, you know, we sort of think two point six, two point six five which is only another 0.3, and that, that should be enough. So it's a real mixed bag, and, and things are changing every day, and a, a bit depends what happens on the global market as well. The Fed in the US came out and raised rights just this week at 0.75, which is yes. a big jump, and it's caused a fair bit of carnage to share markets and things like that. It's also affected the Australian dollar against the US and the UK pound against the, the US. And the UK government, their reserves got to come in now, and so they're going to buy some bills to try and stabilise that. So, you know, it's just far too complex for anybody to know. But I think, I really don't think that Dr. Phil from the Reserve Bank is going to really want to be remembered for the guy that said interest rates weren't going to rise until 2024 and also be the person that caused the recession. So I hope they're going to pull back and wait a little bit and see what the effects are. As I said earlier, it can take a fair bit of time for these interest rates to roll through. Some of the banks, after an interest rate rise, it takes them a month to sort of review. And then the next month they write out to you and your payment's not going to start until the following month. So you're sort of running almost two months, sometimes three months in arrears before you see your actual repayment jump up. Mm. The other thing is we've got all those clients and certainly most of the clients I saw pre these rate rises, all these people buying homes and stuff, 
we just couldn't believe how cheap interest rates were. When you could fix, I think the cheapest I saw was 1.99 for four years. <laughs> right? Yeah, so we were, we, were taking advantage, we were taking advantage of those and fixing people in. But, you know, that'll come out and they will have a massive jump from 2% up to, you know, 4 or 5%. So it's going to be a big jump for them. There's a lot of feeling sorry for them, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) Those of us on a variable. (laughs) Yes, I know. know. Worth uh, remembering if you have fixed your rates that, you know, it's not forever. Well, I think think the point I'm getting to is that, you know, we're going to see that um, flow into the market. Yeah. Some extra, yeah, those people haven't, wouldn't have had the pressure to adjust the rest of their situation, um, which is what they're trying to have us do with increasing rates to, Slow yeah. spending. Well, the other thing is, you know, like, what is it? You'd notice better than me, but they say about a third of people rent, third of people own their property outright, and then the other lot are buying. Uh, and of those, some people have been buying for a long time and quite wealthy. So the actual percentage of the population that it's going to have to do the heavy lifting, that interest rate rise is going to affect, affect really seems very unfair that we're, we're the ones that have got these loans that are trying to you know, have to bail out the, 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 the country for this inflation because a lot of people, inflation won't even hit them. No. Uh, oh, sorry, when I say well, inflation, interest rates, interest rates won't rise. It won't hurt them as much as people mm-hmm. that have got these high mortgages that are sort of starting on the journey. Hmm. But nothing lasts forever and everything moves in cycles. So That's right. And I think, you know, the thing at the moment is just to bear in mind to, is that we're just returning to a more normal interest rate cycle. The thing that's been a little bit shocking is how quickly those rates have rise. But certainly rates at the moment, you know, in fours and fives, that's pretty cheap money. And and if, if we look at historical growth in property, that sort of stuff certainly makes sense to, to leverage off borrowing that money and investing it wisely if you're making the right decisions and looking for the longer term. Nice point to end things on. So thank you so much for joining us today. We might be having to get you back sooner rather than later with how rapidly things are changing. You could almost do a finance update every month at the moment. <laughs> yeah, well, it might be might be a bit boring for most people. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy it. I it. That's <laughs> why you're here. I'm here to pick your brain for me as well. So thank you yeah. for your time. Uh, thanks for the opportunity and great work on the podcast, mate. We'll, uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Cheers. Bye. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature, as we don't know your specific situation. You should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburbs of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorsedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. To be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group. Mm-hmm.